Hello? Michael. Michael. It's... It's Waste the Potential Podcast. Hi, Mom. You never call anymore. Why, why you never call? I call you all the time. You don't answer. Well, you don't have good time for your friends. You get all big hot shot up in, in, in the Washington area. You you think you're better than us? Mr. Kim, you should go. This is going to take a minute. Listen. Listen. I have put up with your shit for too long. Get your ass on the Waste the Potential Podcast for, for the greatest podcast of all time. Yeah, sure. Wait, you don't have time to talk to you, mother. Michael, if you hang up on me, I swear to God, I'm gonna beat you with an element. Either one through five, I don't know which one yet. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Dallas. Yeah, he's oh, ready. We're ready. We're ready. Yeah, we're, we're recording, recording and I'm ready. Then I'm nerdy and I'm ready. All right. All right, shut the fuck up. All okay, right. here, shut the fuck up. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wasted Potential Podcast, Glass Half Full. This week, we have a special guest star. Shaggy canceled on us, so we had to get Mike. Shaggy! Mike, professional podcaster, lover extraordinaire. Introduce yourself. Uh, I'm glad to be here. This is actually my second time on Wasted Potential, and I'm looking forward to talking about one of the best movies ever made, The Fifth Element. Every 5,000 years, remove the shield. When the three planets are in eclipse, the black hole like a door is open. Evil comes, spreading terror and chaos. There's nothing that can stop this. There is only one thing. Perfect. The Wonder Chiwan have in their possession the only weapon to defeat evil. Four elements gathered around a fifth. Selected for a mission of the utmost importance. What mission? Save the world. <laughs> Don't move. Hey, Shane, what was the last movie? Oh, I'm here. Hi, I'm Ronnie. I'm here, too. Um, what was the last movie that Mike was with us for a podcast? What was it? Did we do... Oh, we did Arachnophobia. We did. Hey! With we did. Shane's, Shane's ready to go. He's, he's, I'm, he's, I'm he's sharp. We're hitting on all cylinders right now. Well, I'm glad you called me. No room for amateurs in this game. All right. Woo. So Mike said it. This week we watched the fifth fucking element. How does one solve a problem like the fifth element? Where? What? What is this movie, Mike? <laughs> well, I feel like you know you know a lot more about the background behind it. Going into how do you solve the fifth element, I like that question a lot. And I'm actually very interested to deep dive a little bit into the fifth element. Because uh, I actually don't know a lot about trivia. Um, so looking forward to that portion of it. But the fifth element, uh, going to the synopsis zone that I am, you know, I do on our other podcast, uh, Working Title. 
hey, hey, hey. Stick in your lane. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Uh, You're going off script. <laughs> on a base level, The Fifth Element is the quintessential movie of the 90s. It has everything that you would want from the action-adventure, sci-fi, fantasy, uh, sexuality that is uh, the epitome of good movies with no no bars hold, no reservations. Definitely uh, nobody was embarrassed by the making of it, and it just came out perfectly. Um, on a deeper note, as far as the story goes, it is a futuristic movie hundreds of years into the current uh, reality that we live in where aliens have now made contact and blah, blah, blah. We've had a lot of that kind of uh, build-up that doesn't get explained, but we are we are in this believable future where there is... Um, it's not dystopian, but it definitely is how you'd imagine uh, the world to progress toward a populated Earth with action, adventure, and and love and romance, and it's just, I mean, all around, just good. I mean, if you if you just ask what's the fifth element's about, it's it's about being a good movie. That's a good way to put it. I think it won an Oscar for. <laughs> oh, it's very far from Oscars. <laughs> it actually did. I th- it was nominated for one. I don't think it well, was. Well, better than soundtrack, because the soundtrack is phenomenal. I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. I already want to talk about how good this goddamn oh, yeah. movie is. Okay. Um, so, in our glass half full usual uh, approach here, we usually just ask our guest, uh, Mike, a couple questions here. That's why I'm here. I shouldn't be here right now. But Shane didn't want to podcast alone. He's afraid. <laughs> I don't want like to be alone. So, I'm here to run the interview while Mike talks about his favorite movie. I question him and... Shane you're like the move. You're you're like the podcast moderator. Am I getting that right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Because maybe it'll be a fight. I hope it's a fight. Uh, okay, so Mike, tell us when did you first see this film, The Fifth Element? When it came out back in 1997. Yep, the year that it was released. That's the first time I saw it. I was a little boy of eight years old, and it just blew my mind. I could see how Mila Jokovic would get imprinted <laughs> into the. Believe it or not, mind. it was Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> what a hunk the hairline Corbin Dallas which would bring me to let me find it my first little trivia so when they originally wrote this uh, Corbin Dallas I can't figure out how they changed the original character's name but um, his original name was supposed to be Zoltman Blaros <laughs> well it was written by a Frenchman <laughs> so that's not surprising Oh, this movie is the most French sci-fi movie ever to be made. <laughs> Are you a big fan of uh, Luc Besson? You, there, Mike. You know, the, I didn't even know who the hell he was, even when I was such a fanboy of The Fifth Element, until he came out with uh, Valerian, and I was so excited to see his newest, you know, almost two decade later film. And now I know who he is, and I kind of don't like him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well welcome to the journey i took Mike. <laughs> so um my first time seeing this film i think it was in college i think it was probably you shane said so, development like no so okay it's fine i saw like a year ago and thought oh this is kind of a wacky movie today if shane was telling me about behind the scenes stuff i was like i don't think i care for this movie anymore either <laughs> but there's a lot of fun things that make that just stand out to me and about this movie so that's why I don't really think I like it, but I do enjoy the the weird journey it takes you on. What about you, Shane? The first time you saw this movie? I think I saw it. I think my dad owned it on DVD. So I was pretty young, probably around eight years old. And 
I remember it being like one of those scenes where like my parents would be like, you know, oh, put your hands up because they already know where the tits are coming in the movie or something. But they, you, you sometimes you don't know that there's boobs on screen and I could see them. So this movie was really imprinted on me as well. Anything about the plot? That oh. imprinted? <laughs> 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 uh, I love future Die Hard in space. This is awesome. <laughs> um, just this tips. You're going to get two minutes in here in the conversation of going, going, hey, when I was a child, I saw tits really young. <laughs> um, Shit, it's Carrie Hutchins. She had the biggest tits I've ever seen, I think. I got to catch a glimpse of these warlocks. Let's make a move. This plot is bonkers. <laughs> and if you scratch at it a little bit, it starts to peel really quick. And you go, no, 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 no. And you try to push it back up. So it's best not to even think about what's going on. Just watch what's on the screen. And it is an amazing assortment of goofy action sci-fi comedy. I I would agree. Yeah, there's definitely comedy elements to it. And I think it's uh, intentional for sure. Yeah. Or unintentional. Well, I think it makes sense once they kind of like describe the team that came together to make it. So Luke Besson grew up reading... um, comic books that were famous in france i guess france is like super into uh comic books Nerd. and the, the two most famous ones are jean mobius charu and jean-claude mezier i want to say that's his sure but they're two like very famous they made like heavy metal they wrote valerian really these are the guys and, behind heavy um, metal wow yeah and then i think they also helped with the watchmen okay I, think. I can i can see that but don't quote me on that but yeah very very french famous uh comic makers so he met up with them and basically told them like create this world and literally what they drew is what this movie is so it's this weird like sci-fi comic book people which makes more sense why it's so wacky but uh yeah so does it explain why it's like looney tunes (laughs) because <laughs> it's french <laughs> okay comic book plus french equals looney equals tunes, looney tunes. Okay. <laughs> but um so some interesting things about this so luke basson the director he obviously made valerian city of 1000 planets That's whatever what that called? means oh, yeah. that was valerian the lost city of uh-huh. steel <laughs> <laughs> that that didn't take off too well he made lucy with scarlett oh Johansson. god he made that one too well. he's yep take he's not got two. a good batting record well so he had some early hits, and then he went back. Oh, I see. So it's yeah, one of those so situations all... where the retirement should have come early. <clears throat> oh, okay. yeah. But at, like, 30. <laughs> 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 yeah, because I'm looking at this list. Yeah. Okay, so obviously the big one is Leon the Professional. Okay. I've never seen it, but it's, like, yeah, Shane's yeah. favorite yeah, movie. That's yep. great, yeah. Of all time. Another Frenchman so in there, a lead French. Let's talk business. This guy comes to town every Tuesday. Are you free Tuesday? Yeah, I'm free Tuesday. You can't stop what you can't see. This guy came from the outside. He was a pro. He was fast. In the art of the kill, Leon was the master. No croissant? No, monsieur. Oh, you got this coffee? Yep, Jean Renault. You have Nikita's also kind of a famous uh, French yeah. one. 
Femnikita, Colombiana. That movie sucked. <laughs> um, from Paris. Why, why shame? Why is it so terrible? From Paris with love. It's because it starts with women. <laughs> 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 it was, he made Taken, The Transporter, Kiss of the Dragon. That now you said he did ass. Taken. Did he do um, the first one? Yeah, he did the first okay. and the second. But not the third. He couldn't get him he back. He just couldn't get him back. He had bigger things to do, like Valerian. <laughs> Valerian. He, uh, he had way CDs. too much CGI to work with. Oh, my God. Dude, he has a quote where they're like, oh, how, how is this baking Valerian compared to the fifth element? And he goes, the fifth element was a nightmare. It was a nightmare to do the fifth element. The special effect was uh, from another age. And I have to lock my camera for eight hours and, and I couldn't come in the set. And it, it was really painful, in fact, for me. It's funny because Fifth Element has 188 shots with special effect. Valerian has 2,700. So it's it's 20 times, you know, bigger. No, no, I, w I was always, I was always bored. Uh, not bored, but uh, worried about the the real alien. In, in Fifth Element, I have a couple of them and and I always see the guy in it. So it's complicated. Here uh, on Valerian, I have a, an actor playing an alien. So he's in gray suit with dots. But the way he's playing, the way he interpret the thing is very there. It's human, I can see it. And I can see if it's good. I may have gone too far in a few places. He's like, with, with Valerian, it's just computers. I don't have to do anything. You know what's funny about that? And this is a, a great transition right there. The One of the best things about The Fifth Element, one of the things I think is one of the, the that makes it kind of a good movie is the fact that it has practical effects throughout the entirety of it. Like, there's CGI in it, and it's bad CGI. It's the 90s. But the practical effects in that movie, and I got to admit that I'm a little bit biased. I, I really love practical effects, um, but just so good. Like, I love the obvious alien you're wearing this little plasticky looking mask and everything is so well done. But if you really pay attention to the fifth element and I hope you guys would, are we allowed to talk about watching movies under the influence on this podcast? Okay. So yeah. if you watch yeah. the fifth element, like really stoned, you start to pick up on the subtleties in the background. You see that the, 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 the set design, the intention, like there's a, in, in one of the scenes at the very beginning of the movie where the, the spaceship crashes being attacked by these, um, pig-looking men uh, into into this, you know, moon or whatever. You can't just go along with what people are saying, Susan, okay? There's no scientific proof, no real evidence of a man-bear pig. They, they collect the remains of the one survivor, which ends up becoming the uh, Lilu, who is the uh, the female uh, character in this film, who is the, who is the fifth element. You can see on the box in... in you, so not explaining this correctly the survivor in the crash is just a hand right they just need a couple of cells right. to bring the, the that person back like the technology is able to resurrect the this person through just the cells in this hand but this i see no problems with that no no no, no. it's fine it's fine you gotta gloss over it. like shane said you just gotta it's a suspension of disbelief right so you're just along for a good time that's what this movie is you strap in you're gonna have fun yeah. So this this hand that they bring in as the sole survivor of this crash is gripping a uh, looks like a like a door knocker, and if you pay attention to the film, um, the uh, bad guy in the film who is Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, uh, who's played by Gary Oldman, one of the best actors out there, he has the case brought to him because he's working for this 
this monster deity that is trying to destroy all life, but in his pure evil. Right. And so he's collecting these things because he's all about money. He's a, he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. And this, this monster demon deity has been contacting Zorg, who's this... He's a human, but he's, he, you know, he's, he's a bad guy. But he uh, collects these stones. There is the stone. Which are the catalyst of this whole film. I guess I didn't... Com- like, I should have really gone into the whole synopsis of this. Uh, but he gets this, this... I'm way off track. So he gets this case, and on the case, <laughs> you can see that there's two handles on it, and one of the handles is missing. In other words, Lilu, the, the sole survivor, the hand is gripping that oh. piece of the case. So so in other words, there is oh, a damn. there's a lot of detail and thought that's actually put into each shot and each scene in this. So as much as I want to shit on him for Valerian, uh he actually was good at at least at some point in his career of making an actually in-depth thought out and beautiful movie. It just really is sad to see that he lost that. Yeah. Well, with, with I guess the fifth element, he wrote it when he was 16. No way. And then carried it through life, could not get it made. He met the two comic book guys who made it, wanted to do the concept with him, so they drew it up. And it wasn't until Leon the Professional was such a big hit that a studio would take a chance on this because everyone would read it and they'd be like, what the fuck is this? I'm actually glad that happened because I do but, not want to watch The Fifth Element written by a 16 year old. <laughs> yeah, probably not best. A lot, lot more boobs <laughs> in that one. Okay, so you said the practical effects. Going back to kind of like that conversation from from there, I like in the very beginning because this is my my biggest complaints. I don't understand this fucking movie. <laughs> um, so at the very beginning, like I love that like it's the practical effects mixed with like these special mm-hmm. effects CGI kind of stuff. And I love how subtle and slow and reminiscent of like 2001 Space Odyssey is. And in the next scene, someone's screaming on the radio about you like singing a song it's chris tucker just screaming i'm like i just don't get these two fucking movies are the same and you go from like the the awesome practical like goofy characters that are like armadillos that i guess you didn't get to the, the whole plot of this it starts with and the armadillos in the desert we, okay, we didn't okay. do any of the oh plot God, but i'm actually so trying to wrong. resist doing the plot because i would love to go through it all and do it proper justice but i you know what i'm kind of jaded that i'm the synopsis guy so Oh, okay. So here's what we'll do. I'll synopsis it, and you're our subject matter expert. So you can object at any point. Okay. I'm just going to go with So the in the beginning, there was Luke Perry, and <laughs> Luke Perry fucks everything up. So the key is handed off. These armadillos came down to get the stones in the fifth element because they said evil's coming, and it's not safe on Earth. That's fair. Shit goes wrong. They go forward 300 years. Now a giant ball of evil is heading for earth they listen to the priest who once says the fifth element's going to kill it all and we got to let these people in armadillos come in they get ambushed by all right interjection shut up shut up shut up you're missing key plots here so the, the the priest is not just a priest so there's a what happens is the ball shows up 300 years in the future like you just barely said and there is now this i don't know it's almost like um it is the president's war room where on Earth, and they have brought in, which I think is a really uh, interesting fact, that they include in this war room uh, members of multiple religions. You can see them. There, there are these old men sitting in front of this uh, co- like council of like governmental-looking people, and each one has like some kind of robe or or 
uh, vestments of a different religion, right? So in other words, they include in this futuristic version of reality and world uh, the opinions and the expertise of these different peoples and different sects. In other words, we're living in a world that is all-inclusive now. So this is important to the fact that this is a good movie, at least as far as the way I see it is. It's, it is move past bias, but it also makes people be involved. But the president definitely feels like these are the kooks of their religions. What the fuck are you talking about? We're keeping you here because we're just trying to make sure you guys don't riot in our fucking streets. So <laughs> Cornelius, uh, he is the, uh, the, the, the passed down version of the, um, the religion that has to do with the armadillo people, as you refer to them. Right. So the armadillo people came down and they said, the we got to get the, yeah, the, the Wana Chiwin. And so they come down and they, 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 <laughs> they, they, they've been storing this weapon in Egypt, in a pyramid. And uh, that was the Luke Perry scene where we have this archaeologist. He's there trying to figure out this hieroglyphics. And, and we're introduced to the whole, you know, backstory about the whole thing. So this is an engineered thing of these Wanachiwans left on Earth to defend the universe against evil. Right? Like, I know this is a bad movie. But it's so, like, it's so pure. <laughs> it's so pure. Right? You know what I mean? Thank you. It okay. is pure. I can finally breathe now. Okay. I can finally breathe now. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, it's it's good. Like, it's, it's, uh, it is purely good. Anyway, so they keep this weapon on Earth, and uh, this sect of this religion, they're the ones who are, you know, they're, they've been given the task of defending and taking care of this temple that will then eventually at some point be used to stop again and this is they make it they refer to the fact that this has happened multiple times throughout the history of the universe and it just needs to they're the next ones in line to then stop it again mm-hmm. so anyways so we're like now caught back evil, up to where you were and we've only been 15 so like minutes the into the movie now by the way yeah of course so, so it was like the evil space embodiment orb thing like get strong again every 300 years or is it just like this one time nope it's a recycling thing right like like there's a lot of depth there right like it's the universe right if you talk about how we function as far as the big bang right there there's theories out there that is a recurring event that explodes implodes explodes implodes and this is kind of hits on that fact that this is something that needs to be continued on forever no matter what this is not the final moment of it this is just the most recent version of it so it's that little story of history of the defense of reality against pure evil. There's a there's a, a very beautiful version of looking at the fact that it's important to do this, but it also is unimportant for the the grand scheme of what we are. Shane, talk about how the director is a fucking pedophile. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Did that happen? He's not a pedophile. <laughs> stop, stop. We're going to get sued. He's not, he's not a pedophile. He just may... It, there's there's, apologizing there's some implication with Mila. Oh, no. And this may be created by myself. <laughs> but, Mike, do you know how old Mila Jokovic is in this movie? Um, I believe that she was 26. She is 19 no. years old. Would you like to know how old Bruce Willis was? <laughs> 42. <laughs> Forty-one, uh, very good. Yeah, I did know he yeah, was Luke older. The zone is not nineteen either. Hey, nineteen's legal. <laughs> License and registration, please. What seems to be the officer problem? Yeah. So <laughs> the story goes with Mila that Luke Besson interviewed ni- uh, five thousand actresses wow. to include Mila, never called back. 
She bumped at him at the Chateau Marmont in uh, Marmont in L.A., some famous-ass hotel, and she bumped into him, and she said that was the first time he got to see her without makeup, and he was taken aback and wanted her to audition. So what I'm taking away from that, he likes so, uh, beauty from a like a you know a, an unbiased point, right? Like, yeah, I, that's what I get to. He did. He did call her perfect. Jesus unfortunately, perfect he also so the language that Mila speaks um, is made up by Luc Besson. He wrote a language with over 300 characters. He tokened it and. He made 19-year-old Mila memorize the entire language and would quiz her every day and would sometimes make her talk in the conversation all day. Of course, like all kids, I had imaginary friends, but not just one. I had hundreds and hundreds, and all of them from different backgrounds who spoke different languages. And one of them, his name was Caleb. He spoke a magical language that only I could understand. In this made-up language. Okay, well, you're not, like, making me feel any surprise here because here's the thing like there are so many stories of crazy fucking directors and and producers who have done stranger things than that woody allen i mean true all right i love that mike is so here to defend this movie so he he'll die i I know what i I signed up for this is a good movie to die on the hill yeah i will be more respectful so then uh what's you mentioned the practical effects give me something else that you love about this film here um, I really think that the, they did a fantastic job on the, um, the scores and the, the, I would say the transitions between the music and the costume design, there is a very French element to it. I mean, Corbin Dallas has a opened back orange shirt throughout it. Like it's just a progressive as far as what I would say the nineties would have been at the time. I mean, it is 97, but still seeing that this just, the music was ahead of its time. I mean, it's not even really ahead of its time. It, it, it even is still strange now in 2023. But it, it definitely it has this flow yeah. to it. And and even you guys mentioned at the beginning, is this a comedy? I think 100% it is a comedy. But it's intentionally a comedy. Chris Tucker's performance is his best performance in any fucking film I've ever seen him in before. So we encapsulate, we have that, we have the 
we have the drama, we have the love, we have the... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in many topics of what I like about this film. I'm not answering just one right now. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think I think I agree with it's you got the It's got those comedic elements. It's got those... It, the rememberable scenes. It has the quotable... I mean, I quote it all the time. Like, you know, it's just it just hits on every level. Gary Oldman. It's got Gary Oldman. I mean, that alone is a positive to a, a film, is that Gary Oldman's in it. My favorite. Yeah, I mean, he's playing the same character he did in Leon the Professional, just kind of a crazy guy. But I guess him and Luke are like friends. And basically, Gary Oldman was doing Zorg in a way that would make it hard for the director not to laugh. <laughs> so this, this character is supposed to just try to get you to laugh at him. I'm even resisting trying and, to quote this movie right now. That's that's how ingrained it is in my head. <laughs> just you saying that brought forth a ton of stuff I wanted to just say of Gary Oldman's quotes during this film, right? My favorite. And, you know, I was thinking about it, and, and uh, as far as, like, the story actually goes, if you actually break this film down to what it is based, and you don't actually uh, watch the film itself, it is it does not take place over a long period of time. It is very compressed, regardless of the, you know, the intro of the first 10 minutes, then 300-year jump. I'm saying as far as the main plot goes, it takes over the, it takes the course of two days or three days. It's not very, like, long, but it is, and it also is um, only filmed in, 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 in a little bit of small locations, right? We start in New York City. We, we're in Corbin Dallas' apartment when he, we first switch over to it. Uh, we see a little bit of Zorg industry, so that's still in New York City. And then we have uh, a little bit of the uh, the priest apartment scenes. And then we go straight to an airport, and we have some airport scenes. And then we jump to a cruise ship, and that's it. Like, it is actually a very compressed film. It's a very short story. Uh, but it's well done in the sense of it's a two-hour film. So a lot of films, they, they take a very long uh, story and they, they stretch it over the course of all of the, these events and this time and all this uh, these locations. Uh, and But they have to, like, cut it so much. And it's so, like, it can become a little bit com- more convoluted where this really sticks to the fact that it is compressed. It's a small story and they purposefully did it in the sense that it is a, a, a minuscule portion of what is important in the grand scheme of the universe and time but it's just good to see this little like quick story that just has these feelings and and these emotions that just well done in the sense of you know after you're at the end you just feel like you saw uh almost like a short story done well yeah it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's like um for lack it's not drawn out or dragged out Yes, it's not like a pretentious like space movie. It's not like two thousand one like Space Odyssey or like Andromeda Streamer is kinda of like doing that. It's that's why it doesn't really feel like a normal sci fi. It feels to me more like a sci like more like fantasy where it's kinda of like almost like a fairy tale where it's very just like this is all really silly and doesn't have like like a Shane and I were talking about this we re watching it right now was like I understand what's going on in the scene, so it's not like that complicated, but I think the, the whimsical, like silly goopiness is what kind oh, of Oh, it's a charm. Makes makes it memorable to me as opposed to like there's so many like trashy like 80s and 90s sci-fi films that are kind of like this and like the lieu of like star wars and whatnot so like and like but this one feels like a director had a vision i don't fucking get that vision (laughs) but but it's like but i know like this is like a luke basson film like and capital's like that goopy silliness i've seen in some other movies too or it's just like it doesn't take itself um, too serious no, and it's 
that's why it's so memorable. It's, just, it's all about what's happening in this hmm. scene here and the silliness, what's going on. The, the tone is so everywhere, but it doesn't really matter because it's like, this scene is what matters. Yes. This moment is what matters. It's very... And it's so uh, overacted. Each scene is overacted yeah. <laughs> in a good 90s way, right? Like, anybody who is born after the, the, the 2000s would look at this and be like, this is the cheesiest goddamn shit I've ever seen, and not appreciate the subtleties <laughs> of the 80s and the 90s. It's, it is definitely a product of its time and the people that came together on it. Um, now, I got to say one thing about where we've talked about Luke a lot, and we've talked about how he's a shitty person in reality. I kind of feel there needs to be a... Well, he may not be. This is all conjecture for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. So I have zero research in this time of stuff. So the type of... I don't like to deep dive into people because everybody's going to be bad at their core. That's unfortunate. It's just humanity. But the fact is, if you don't know who these people are, you would probably consider this to be a better movie. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah. He, he did a good job, and it feels... It's the most authentic sci-fi I think I've ever seen. Where it's just like, no, this this is what we think the future is, and fuck you. <laughs> but I but I also think like that, that's kind of a, that tone lets them get away with this. Okay, for example, so Shane tells me like I saw this movie like a year ago. I enjoyed it. Then today Shane's putting it under the lens of this director's a scumbag. <laughs> so the entire movie is just Mila jo- Mila Jovovich. It's okay. Jovovich. It's okay. She's Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> Mila Jehovah's Witness. Like, just her basically naked. So it's like, uh, I, I feel uncomfortable. So you have to separate whether those are true conjectures or most likely not. Like, the person from the art, I guess. No, I mean, okay, so is, I, can, I can go into that. But it's, but it's also the, hard, too. The, like, there, there is there really, is a version of sexuality in this movie, right? And, and if you don't think about it in the way that oh, you're yeah. trying to be creepy, then you don't, you're, I mean, it's misappropriation of what um, sexuality in a, in a film is, right? Like, we had we don't have established... Yeah. Um, derogatives within a film, right? This is, a, like you said, it's a, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy film, right? We're not supposed to be watching something and then relating it to the reality of who these people are. No, we're watching we're watching a story. We're watching somebody who is not being uh, sexualized in the way of inappropriateness. We're watching, like, it's like reading a book, okay? Like, if we're, if we're reading a character and we are only existing this character within this world, there's nothing inappropriate about that. It is purely, at its core... A story, and if you are trying to make it something more than that, and you're trying to bring in reality into that, of course you're going to ruin that. You can ruin it in any way easily by bringing in the fact that these are real people really existing in the world. But if you step back and you put yourself in the world of fantasy, which is what the film industry is doing, and you put yourself purely in the state of watching the story play out, there is nothing wrong with seeing the sexualization of human beings within this world because you're seeing the development of a relationship and love. And, and of course, you don't want to see the evilness that can be portrayed within a story of the derogatory sense of bad sexualization. But in this film, that does not happen. There is purely showed of the appreciation of a woman's body. She's referred to as perfect and as the element itself. And we look at the fact that even the, the characters within the film, they try to be respectful when she doesn't understand the normalities of what it means to be a human in New York, where she takes her clothes off to strain them out. She wasn't doing that to show her boobs. She was doing that because she doesn't understand that she is being considered as a sexual object. And her character ends up playing with the fact that she's talking to Corbin and trying to convince him that it is not just about being a perfect woman, is the fact that her innocence is what makes Corbin attracted to her. The fact that he came out of a relationship with a woman that destroyed his heart, there's, you know, there's quips about it. 
and he falls in love with her because he's looking for this perfect woman. That's a quote that he said when he at the very beginning of the film when he's driving his cab around and his friend finger calls and and he says, "I just I don't want all the women. I just want a perfect woman." And that sense of what he wants is the unbiased, uninfluenced version of just strength, determination, love. That's what he wanted from that that character, and she had all of that in it. So if you get rid of the fact that she was 19 and probably got horribly treated in the, fa- in, in the entire industry, then we can actually see something that is actually really well-written. Life isn't about sex. Life is about children and passion yeah. and spirit. It's not about fucking and balls and pussy. It's about love. It's about people. It's about connection. But it's not about tossing salad. It's set up with cock and ass and pits mm-hmm. and butthole pleasures. It's not about his rusty trombone and his dirty Sanchez. It's about love. And you oh, shouldn't man, feel I like... On that. <laughs> you shouldn't feel like you're now seeing something disturbing. Yeah. I, I agree. You went in deep on that, Mike. I, I appreciate it. Um, Ronnie, what, what's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is so, so funny. When you bring up the uh, the love and the special effects, I those guys were <laughs> the love and the special effects. I love those two connections right there. <laughs> the, the special effects team, Jesus. So it was done by a company called <laughs> Digital Domain, and um, to just show how much the animatronics people put in and freaking. Just the New York team. Oh, I believe it. So they built a 70 by 22 foot set. So the buildings you're seeing are 22 Whoa. feet. Yeah. And they painted them all and sculpted them. They did. They they put their so, time in. Yeah. It took 60 people working six days a week, nine months to construct oh, that geez. set. For 13 minutes of the film. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I think your your the story too is very concise because they, I think this was made on a budget of like sixty million. So like, they were like, okay, we have two set pieces, everything else has to be in someone's apartment. <laughs> like that's all we could do, and they did it well. They put everything they had into it. Yeah, and that's kind of going back to what I was saying. There's really not a lot of actual sets in the if you break it down in fact i just noticed that for the first time i was watching this film last night actually to catch up a little bit remind myself for the 110th time i've seen this um <laughs> but yeah i mean i i kind of realized there aren't it's not a big spectrum as far as where they go and there's not a lot of sets involved uh, ronnie what, what's another question you have? <laughs> okay um can we go back to uh you're going through the synopsis it's going the point where someone falls into his... Oh, yeah. The science thing. This is part that confused me. I legitimately just don't understand this. So, you mentioned it before, right? With the, the hand, the briefcase, they're going to change her DNA and re-sculpt mm-hmm. her. So, basically, I was confused on this, and I've never understood this. So, they are taking her DNA, but why do they make her human and not her true form? What do you mean by that? So, like, the fifth element, right? The other elements are... Oh, yeah. Wouldn't she be an armadillo of... man? She be an arm, would she be an armadillo man, like her true form, or is she like one of those? Yeah, why did energy? she come? Out? <laughs> no, 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 no. no okay, I, I I would love to get into this. So so, that's that is explained in the film. Um, 
and it's not a subtlety, by the way. You should really feel ashamed that you missed this. The, the, ah, he, so shame. the doctor, the, so when they're bringing in the, the general, right, and they're bringing in the military, um, there's that scientist, the really creepy guy with the jizz on his face during the black light. You know that guy? Oh, so yeah. he explains it. He says, all right, general, this is normal human DNA. You, me, and blah, blah, blah. And he goes through the whole thing. And this, this is this person's DNA. And it's this construct. It is exactly the same as ours, but more intricate, more detailed, almost like it's been engineered, right? He goes through that whole spiel. In other words, this weapon is being kept on Earth for a reason, because it was engineered from human DNA. It was used, human DNA, engineered to create a person who is a human being at its core. It shares the same DNA as us. It's not a Wanda Chiwen. It's not an alien. These are almost like the constructs, right? These are the, these are the great... Uh, builders of of the weapon that's what the wanda chiwen are they're not they didn't use a wanda chiwen as their weapon no they constructed a person to be used because humans have the ability to share love and that's the point the wanda chiwen can't share love the the other alien species can't share love even the oh, even so though love was the fifth element love is the fifth element that is the the whole point of the film oh. that's that's what they say at the end there when when corbin is with her at the end and she's saying, I need you to say it before she activates her weapon that destroys evil. That's the fifth element. It's a trap. What? You guys not really get the fact that this entire <laughs> fucking film is the fifth element is referring to the element of love? No, I... It's about love. I know No, love. I'm just confused. Okay, so I understand that's literally what it's saying. So is she the embodiment of love? She's a construct, a, a ge like genetically engineered weapon... Used of human oh, DNA to be able love. to, yeah, the ability to show the the special part of humanity in this whole film is that humans, as all the races that are presented in this film, are the only ones capable of purely having the ability to express love with each other. And the Wanachiwin have found that and used it, they engineered it to be able to create a weapon that has concentrated love. Like, okay, we're going into the silliness and the stupidness, but they concentrated right, love. Earth, wind, fire, water, love. I'm losing you guys. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What did we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Yes, sir. I'm fucked if I know what we did. Yes, sir. It's uh, hard to say. Jesus fucking Christ. No, I'm here. Yeah, Unless mumbling. <laughs> so they just concentrated a human DNA structure to be able to focus love beam out somebody's mouth to stop pure evil. So it wasn't a Wanda Chiwen alien, and when you refer to it as its true form, the, the true form is she actually is a human. Uh, that is what her DNA structure is built of. It's just her DNA structure has been manufactured to create it uh, a human. So it's she's she's a made human. Through time and space. So that capsule that she came out with at the very beginning, it looked like a sarcophagus, the one that they bring her out of the, right. the, uh, the temple there. That is a storage device. It is like uh, being frozen in carbonite, right? So she is Lilu inside of that little capsule right there. Like, there is a human uh, being inside of that little capsule right there. Well, goddamn. Take that, Ronnie. Can't take her as bitch. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't think you guys know what you signed up for. I, this, is, this is wonderful. I've never looked at the fifth element quite so deeply in my life um so why is gary oldman <laughs> shut up shut up take it back and show this let's talk about corbin dallas corbin dallas is our keep main asking character questions i love when he goes into his tirades Cor corbin dallas is 
a former he's Bruce Willis, but he's a former <laughs> former special Bruce <laughs> former Bruce Willis forces special forces and he has a certificate that says Medal of Honor. I know. <laughs> and it's just it's thrown up with all of his other career medals. <laughs> you did it. Uh, he lives in a shitty apartment, and he was a major, I guess, and he's the only survivor of his super elite special forces. Mm-hmm. The army doesn't give you any good retirement. Yeah, apparently future <laughs> army doesn't have. I mean, we don't need to have a suspension like of disbelief for that. No, no, no. I, I feel that one. Um, <laughs> so he is driving a cab to make ends meet. That is how Lilu she crashes in, gets there. He kind of gets kicked out of the story because the priest is like, we got to get control of her. We're the only ones to know what to do. Like they kind of are the ones that plan, but they're kind of impotent and fucking worthless. <laughs> but Bruce Willis gets kicked out. He thinks she's gone, whatever. And then, his former commander is like, I've got a, I've got a guy just for this. He can come out of retirement (laughs) and that's Bruce Willis. So how did the president know about the stones being in the alien? So at the beginning of the film, when um, we first have the, uh, the one, the, the first uh, appearance of the orb of evil, right? We have an incident that occurs where there's a, there's a U.S. government, warship um that's out there trying to figure out what the hell this anomaly is in space and they send out some probes don't get much information back there is an incident where they try to shoot it with some nuclear warheads and it evil begets evil kind of a thing where cornelius is part of this um council of council of uh priests that are sitting in the war room right to give advice uh-huh. and they're war priests. right and they're and then and so this <laughs> they're they don't know what it is the president doesn't know what the government doesn't know what it is and they they're Cornelius, the priest, he raises his hand and he says that this is uh, pure evil, blah, blah, blah. He starts explaining that he knows what it is and it's part of his ancient books, right? So the incident happens. Mm-hmm. The president kind of blows him off and the, they lose a warship. And then there's a scene where Cornelius brings out his documentation and his ancient books and he shows the president of the United States what it was, what his theory is, and that it is very important in order to stop this that they need to collect these four stones and the wanted chi wouldn't have them mm-hmm. and at that very moment he gets a call saying a wanted chi when air uh, spaceship is trying to pass into the jurisdiction of the US and so he says you allow them in with my best regards blah 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 so he's now on board he's he, essentially what he's doing is they sent mm-hmm. like the biggest guns they had off this biggest warship they had and it did nothing to it so now I think the president is right. open to any kind of suggestion of what it might be. He jumped on real quick. I got to admit, it's a little bit of a plot hole. I think the president of the United States should take a little bit more <laughs> time and a little bit more so science should have been involved. But yeah, sure. But as far as the film goes, that's Leave why. Debo alone, okay? He's got the block <laughs> and now you got the president, okay? So, 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 so that's how the government now is involved, right? And so they bring in the, the, the general to go out and get their best man on the team, which is Corbin Dallas, to... Make sure that they, um, all his job really was, was just to, like, he's a cab driver, and he's continued to do a cab driver. That's kind of like the the play of it, is that after his big military career, this guy goes, and he's a Medal of Honor winner, and he's driving a fucking cab, and then the government comes back, and they say, hey, we need you again, but you're going to be essentially just escorting these four fucking rocks. So he's just fed up with all of this bullshit. Do you think this movie is, like, a little bit satirical? Like, do you think, like, um... Luc Besson has like that kind of biting sense of humor to kind of go after, like kind of like the U.S. 
you know economy or just how things work or how like, the future kind of works like what do you oh absolutely so so he is french right and so the the, the french have always <laughs> been a, no not not even a joke like they have always been anti-establishment they've always been anti-government right they they've definitely have their protests in their streets and they they do make fun of the fact that the hierarchy is a bunch of morons running what they think is this silly little state yeah so for sure i think he was playing on the fact that he was trying to make fun of um, military service i think he was playing on the fact that people are mistreated within their service and i think he was definitely playing on the fact that it's supposed to be silly that um ruby rye the the radio dj of this whole <laughs> film was 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 making fun of what society considers to be important of this whole film at the end of this if you really think about how many people are involved in this entire situation that saved the entire planet there's only like 12 people who actually know it actually happened and that's funny <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, they, it was weird about when I was like watching this. Like I kept getting. Have you ever seen Mike? Have you ever seen uh, Brazil? The Terry Gilliam. Film? I have not. Okay, so I kept getting flashbacks of that movie, which is like that's a total like satire, and it's it's, it's kind of making fun of like the whole like British bureaucracy of how slow everything is and, and pointless it all is. But like I was getting like little flashbacks for like I was getting, okay, I can see that sense of humor is there, kind of like that satirical kind of like darker stuff. Okay kind of going yeah. on there for sure i definitely i definitely enjoyed that kind of just like playing like he's that's what i said like i don't really get this movie like plot wise but like i said it's got a vision and i think the director has a good sense of humor about how silly it all is because the, if the fifth element is love and you gotta know well it's a little it's gonna be silly it's a, it's, a, like a it's on the nose the entire thing is on the nose but mm-hmm. it's i think it's intentionally on the nose so i know I, I hear where you're coming from and i agree with you i'm interested though i'll check out brazil yeah it's a good one that um, ends miserably, though. Kind of unusual, Ronnie fashion. Yeah. Instead of a fun, happy ending, that ends miserably. <laughs> no, hey, there's, there's nothing wrong with feeling emotions. Okay, so why does Gary Oldman help Sauron the black hole? I'm confused. Explain. Tell us about um, Zork. Sure. I love Zork. So help the eye of Sauron. Sauron, yeah, it, it really <laughs> is. That's a good. Uh, that's a good comparison right there. Um, so my, I think why Zorg is involved with this entire situation is. Um, I think evil, Cornelius said at the very beginning, evil begets evil, right? In other words, it, it's going to latch on to bad vibes. And I think Zorg is a bad guy. And, and he's just the quintessential bad guy. He's just, through his core, just a evil dude. So whatever this entity is that exists in this future world, uh, picked up on the fact that there is this businessman who doesn't give a shit. He'll, he'll, sell, his, he'll sell his dying grandmother in order to make a buck. Right, that's his kind of business model, and he's the big yeah. like. There's um, Corbin loses his job at some point, right? He gets fired, and it, he thinks this because he crashed his cab. But actually, the industry that Zorg runs, which is called Zorg Industry, um, actually owns his cab company. And there is a scene where he's mm-hmm. there's a little he has a Zorg's assistant comes up to him and says, uh, "There's a problem with the cab companies. Um, I suggest we fire." Uh, 500,000 of our employees. And Zorg just says, fire 1 million. In other words, he's just fucking people over to fuck people over. And he says that, cab company. So, Corbin Dallas was one of those 1 million employees who just happened to lose his job. So, in other words, Zorg is just trying to... He's a capitalist, right? And he's a good capitalist. He owns a weapons company, a weapons manufacturing company. He owns a cab company. He probably owns a tremendous amount of companies. In his office, you can see... You can see art, like architecture. You can see artifacts. You can see all this stuff. So he's just this 
a tycoon of business, right? And he doesn't care who he kills or who he screws over or what he has to do. He's just bad to his core. So because he has so much influence and power, not only in New York City, but just in general on the on the planet Earth, this Sauron, a uh, ball of flame out in space, um, <laughs> is, is essentially probably telling him, uh, you, know, with, you know, contractually that promising his brain or whatever you want to call it, that he will m- profit off of this because um, it, the, like, it makes a phone call. The, the ball of flame somehow uses radio waves and makes a phone call to Zorg's <laughs> office. Uh, again, suspension of disbelief. <laughs> so silly. You know, just, just, so it's, just have fun. Uh, makes a phone you call. The 16-year-old wrote this. Okay, I got you. So got he you. answers the phone, right? And in that scene, Zorg says to him, like, my, my costs have tripled. And the, the demon voice says... Uh, money is of no importance, only the stones. So I think Zorg is definitely driven by uh, he's about to, you know, make a really big buck on this mm-hmm. thing. But but he, but Zorg doesn't understand, though, is that when this thing comes to Earth, it's killing everybody. So in other words, he's right. he is blinded by greed and, and wealth. And that's a big part of why he is the epitome of what is evil in, in, in human form. Life, which you so nobly serve, comes from destruction, disorder, and chaos. Now take this empty glass. Here it is, peaceful, serene, boring. But if it is destroyed... Look at all these little things. So busy now. Notice how this one is useful. What a lovely ballet ensues, so full of form and color. Now, think about all those people that created them. Technicians, engineers, hundreds of people who will be able to feed their children tonight so those children can grow up big and strong and have little teeny-wing children of their own and so on and so forth. Thus, adding to the great chain of life. Water. Fruit. You see, Father, by creating a little destruction, a cherry. I'm, in fact, encouraging life. In reality, you and I are in the same business. Cheers. Right. I think what I love about it is this, like that goes back to like the whole thing of it being a satire for me, of it being like like he's so blinded he doesn't see the obvious end where he doesn't get out of this. Right. So he's gonna make a profit on the exactly. day. It's it's kind of a perfect little like it's so over the top, but that's why it's so funny. It's because it's like oh look how silly this is, and then like it's fun to see like billionaires. Nowadays, right. you just kind of <laughs> have that same kind of like lost mindedness, and like they they basically all became. Zorg. Well, it eventually leads it eventually leads to his demise in the film, right? Because of his greed, and exactly. he goes and he ends up trying to get these stones at no matter what cost, and he puts himself in a position where he ends up getting himself killed. Big end. Big end. Speaking of wonderful like uh, things, you already mentioned like uh, Gary Oldman, but I love his costumes. His like. Uh, <laughs> Evil Doctor Evil kind of like uh, costumes are pretty great. Shane, tell us some things about the costumes you wrote things about. Can you read that? I, I did. <laughs> Keep so, in mind, this is French. Costume designer. He Set was up. very French. His name was Jean Paul Gaultier, and um, he. I'll give him this man. He was given a very small budget. He didn't give a shit. He just went after it. And every extra has an individual outfit. There's no repeated outfits. He dressed every single person on set uh, so that everything matched how he envisioned it. And it would take hours in the morning for him to check everybody. Like, Well, I, I believe so that. 
is pretty impressive. And I guess for like Chris Tucker, because Chris Tucker showed an interview and he was like, I I was not into what they were trying to do with me. And Jean-Paul Gaultier was like, what I did was I showed him the outfits that I knew that he would be like, fuck no. And then when I showed him the actual outfits, he was much happier. <laughs> Chris Tucker's character so they, is, is one of the best ones in the film. He's so androgynous and he, he definitely has this almost um, drag queen, but he still is like this manly man. Oh yeah, he, he fucks. <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, it's so funny. So this time oh, I've shit. I've never <laughs> I've never watched this movie with subtitles on, so I didn't understand what Chris Tucker had ever said. But this time we had closed captions on. I was like, oh, this makes more sense now that I can understand. <laughs> it's not so, just yeah. There's actually language, and Chris Tucker's performance is actually phenomenal, and not just him, like improv improvising his actual words. And you know that like um I kept calling him um Ruby Rose. <laughs> you call her Roddy Piper. I couldn't remember what it is. Ruby Rice. It's um, Ruby Rod. Yeah, I, I love his character. Like at first, that was like awful, but then that he's grown on me. This most recent. Oh, uh, it's also, so funny. On, Mike explained to me on this go around. I watched it, and I was paying a lot more attention to little things. No one says okay; they say green. Super like, green. They say yeah. Like, are we green? Yeah, super oh, green. Oh, green like grass, and green like, like yeah, yeah. That's kind of like yeah. their 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 new cool word. That's weird, I don't know man. what you want me to explain about that. <laughs> you haven't asked a question yet. <laughs> I couldn't unsee it. I get in here and I was like, "Stop saying green." <laughs> but I love all the little things that world build. That's that's why I'm like science fiction is like one of my favorite genres of film. Is a good director is just like this one here. Like they build like so many little worldly things that don't even be addressed like i love the cigarettes for example that always sticks with me were like the um, huge filters the filter, on them right the huge filters and it's like little but at the end well there, so let's go back I to love... when the film was made the 90s right so cigarettes started having mm-hmm. bigger filters put on that was actually a thing and he almost is making fun of the fact that cigarettes are eventually going to make the point where they got these he didn't realize vaping was going to be a thing but you know <laughs> oh yeah they all would have vaped. <laughs> zorg should have invested in vape no well, I hope it. actually what happens in the future is vaping dies out and we go back to like it's cool to smoke real shit and people actually start smoking real cigarettes plants. again. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, again, to look on their mind. I'm just going to keep out of this one. <laughs> Moving on. Like, I grow my own tobacco plants at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we go through the. Bruce Willis is given a ticket to Flotsam Paradise saying, go get the stones. Um, this is all because there's an alien that has the stones and they're supposed to rendezvous at Flotsam Paradise. Flotsam Paradise. Flotsam. Once the uh, ticket Subtle. is issued, everybody in all of New York is after Corbin Dallas for their own reasons, Even his mom. Which leads to... Even his mom is looking for him. She's looking for Jesus <laughs> Christ, Corbin. <laughs> So here's my question then. So why is it an undercover? But everyone's gonna know his name, right? Because he get announced. Well, they do, they well, do uh, they, they do play on that fact, right? So during the whole thing, Ruby Riot, like they gave him a ticket on a radio show, and the president mm-hmm. is looking at these generals in their little war room, and they're listening. There's there's no like like operative kind of breakdown of them having like secret service. No. Like no, they're listening to the goddamn radio show while Corbin <laughs> Dallas is blowing up a cruise ship, and they're hearing all the playback from that. 
And the fucking generals are looking at the president, and he's like, I wonder who taught them this. And they're, like, embarrassed <laughs> of the fact that this is definitely not being co-op, or co- uh, like, undercover, or, or what's the word I'm looking for? You just used mm-hmm. it. Uh, Incognito. Yeah. Incognito. Covert, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, I think it's plain we at the this fact. this mission in incognito mode. Sir. Well, you gotta think about, like, Dallas's character, right? Throughout the entire film, he's not a subtle man. He is all about just getting the job done and getting it done efficiently and quickly. One more shot. We start killing hostages. That's the leader. Send someone to negotiate. I, 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 I've never negotiated. I... You mind if I try? No, no, sure, sure, sure. We're sending somebody in to negotiate! Anybody else want to negotiate? <laughs> yeah, and, and the, forcing himself on Lilu. I love it. Oh God, yeah, that one. I was like, it's a little soon, Bruce. <laughs> now she does pull a gun on him, and he's like, oh yeah, I fucked up, I fucked up. But again, uh, so this was too. going back to kind of what I was talking about earlier. You watch it from a perspective, right? <laughs> yes. I'm not going to say it's wrong, but I'm not going to say it's right. Yeah. You, you don't have to defend anything. the the ridiculous jokes. No, no. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just thinking in the movie. I was like, Jesus, man. But um, that's kind of starts their love story. This is kind of like a middle school crush kind of thing, in my opinion. Because they just I didn't have time. I can see that for sure. Well, Lilu yeah, kind of presents okay. her character as almost being a little bit. She's um. Child, like underdeveloped, like like she's but but naive. Naive, It's almost like a computer system, right? They keep referring to her as this like engineered being, and then at one point she's going through like the world's history, and she's doing it with like this insanely fast stream of just consciousness on a computer, and she's picking up on it, and she's learning it all very very quickly. So it was, it's it's like a sleeper agent computer AI system put into a flesh being is what she is. She is not fully human, but she is human at the same time. Uh, Mike, I have a question. Are all the <laughs> the servants, like the hot girls, like at McDonald's stuff, are they all androids? No. So that is something that he did intentionally, right? So if you think about what's going to happen with actual um, um, breeding within our race, uh, that being the human race, at some point in the future, uh, crossbreeding will get to the point where there is ambiguous... Um, people right so so they all were intentionally picked to be ambiguous in the sense of where their their heritage is and and that is something that is it actually is a real thing where it is the the basis of good genetics where if you breed across the board you can cut this if you want but it's intentionally made (laughs) to make beautiful people in the sense that they don't have a specific underlying um like genealogy they all are definitely. I got you. You don't have to argue pro interracial marriage. We support. No, no, no. But I'm saying I just if I'm saying this incorrectly. Now hold on, goddamn second. No, they, they, it was. I think he did it intentionally to show that these are people that are almost more beautiful than everybody else because of the fact that they don't have bias, right? So they are interracial and it makes them to be sexualized and it makes them to be and i I don't think they're servants i I don't think it's a proper way to say that they're definitely a service industry 
but they definitely are okay. unambiguous people. <laughs> Hostess. Wait, so we're talking about like how they seem like they were robotic, and because we're going back and forth, and like, no, yeah. she's actually responding emotionally, so it's not a robot. They're all actual people, and then there's the scene with the bar. There's actually a robot screen like face is serving uh, the yeah. The there's a robot bartender. Oh, the, you want yeah, some warm so. thing? Yeah. No, we're just like. We literally were just thinking in like the logic we were just of the trying film. To figure out were if, they actually? Were Were all the hostesses and airplane s- stewardesses, flight attendant, flight attendants? Were Were they androids? Oh, you know, I don't know. I I never thought about that honestly. Well, in the, the scene, were because Chris Tucker fucks her. If it, uh, that well, I mean, mean androids. androids. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen uh, Ex Machina? I mean, you can add that feature. Blade Runner? <laughs> I don't know, to answer that question. I don't know if they were supposed to be that or not. But I get what you're saying, though. They definitely had a, a, a trend that those people that were working the uh, the McDonald's and then who were the stewardesses on the airplane uh, definitely looked the same. At least had the and same features. there's a scene on the cruise ship where she's, like, introducing him to his room and it's like, oh, here's your tickets. And she goes, and the show's for... And her voice changes to like a recording where it's like, Ruby Rod, he's so hot. I want to be with him or something. It's so out of place. I was like, was that? No, that's just good customer service. Oh, very good. Don't talk about me like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, work hard at the McDonald's, Shane. You'll eventually get there to the employee of the month, I promise. (laughs) Okay. Um, my most important question was, why are the Catholics the good guys? It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> what, is, what is the question? I missed that. No, it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I said, why are the Catholics the good the guys? Catholics? Confusing so me. they're actually not. If you actually look at their robes, it's actually more based yeah. on, the, like, um, like more Buddhist religion. No, yeah, that makes sense. But just, like, the, the white guy, the old white guy, then the young mm-hmm. priest, the old priest, young priest. Just like, yeah. <laughs> old priest and a young priest. <laughs> <laughs> it made sense in the dogma that I knew. Um... That doesn't matter. Oh yeah, here's a question. A legitimate question, not being an asshole. So is so we mentioned earlier. Wait, have like, you guys been at being an asshole this whole time? Oh, I have. Oh shit. But um. Oh no. <laughs> I thought I was being a part of something. But. No, well. You're special, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love you. I put you against the wall and firing. Um, my I legitimately was just confused about this part. So does he does he like actually love her, or what is he just mean? saying? What kind of fucking so question the very is that? End, she, Okay, so okay, in the, okay, in the logic of the film, so in the very end, she says she has to hear him say, I love you, right? Yeah. Yeah. They say, say it. Yeah. She has to, like, actually say it, I love you, because you said that in your explanation, too. Like, she has to, like, she say it to be in love with him. Does, do you think Bruce actually, not Bruce, the character's name is Corbin. Corbin. Do you think he actually loves her, or is he kind of just saying it? Is, or, 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 like, does she love her because she is the embodiment of love? I was always was wondering, like, why are they... Is it just, like, a fairy tale kind of logic thing? Or is there actually because she's love, he truly does love her? You know, honestly, I feel like you guys put this film under a microscope too much. I think that's the <laughs> issue here. The f- that's... I mean, I don't know how to even answer that question. Do you believe... <laughs> do you believe, when watching this film, that he loved her? I believe in love. <laughs> It's a film. It's no, a I'm movie, just, like, right? For... So, in other words, no, in order for this whole thing to be, you want to crack down his character. Let's talk. Okay, for, so my personal standpoint, as far as Corbin Dallas and who he was, he was a brutal guy who had a lot of fucked up things happen to it in his personal relationship with his ex-wife and his mother, and he hasn't been able to actually have a meaningful connection with people. So, how difficult would it have been to him to meet a woman after a couple of days? 
to be able to say the words I love you. So that must have been really hard for him, right? And I don't think he was the type of character mm-hmm. to say that meaninglessly. In other words, she demanding he say that was her picking up on the f- sense that maybe he felt that way. Now, if that's something, if that's the answer you wanted, then great. But I think that's a loaded question. You gotta be careful with that shit. This is yeah, a movie. Fuck face. Fuck, I'm like, fuck you, and I fuck her too. Yeah, fuck you, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm not him. It's a fun film. It is like a, uh, it's like a comic book basically, where there's plot holes and stuff, but it's about enjoying what you're seeing and hearing and keeping going forward. Now, if you have a problem with love, movie. then that's a different conversation. We can do that off the podcast. Yeah, we could we could talk this in the streets. Streets. <laughs> I thought maybe like a therapist session. Oh. In the streets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we get to Flotsam Paradise after a bunch of shenanigans. We get introduced to Ruby Rod, and it starts out with Ruby Rod. Um, Ruby Rod, yeah, and they go to the opera because that's where he's going to meet his contact. And they have the most famous part of the Fifth Element, which is the opera action scene. Um, this is pretty well done. Some legit explosions took place in this. Um, and Bruce Willis obviously gets to show off his diehard ways. In kind of like a funny, quirky way. And uh, I loved it. I have a little couple facts about the opera, but let's talk about it first. Sure. This is like the only scene that doesn't work for me. The rest of the movie You're works. fucking high, man. No, this is the only one. I think everything else, but this is the one that for me is like, this is like too goofy... And Die Hardy. The rest of it works for me, like the silliness, but this is the one. I know this is your favorite scene, Shane, so that's why I'm bringing it up. (laughs) This is the only one that doesn't work for me. I I get the rest of it. It's fun. This one is so silly. (laughs) It's so silly. It is very, it is very silly. Yeah. The the opera, then like the, then like the ending of it's like hip hoppy and she looks like a awesome Star Wars character (laughs) and then she's doing the Kung Fu super nineties, like. Even pre-Matrix, like Kung Fu, taking that shit from overseas, like kind of karate, like films like that there. like, And then on top of that, Gary Oldman's going there with this just silly ways and his big old gun. It's just, oh my gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> it's so much. This might be one of the, this might be one of the scenes in the film. The reason that I probably don't look at it the way you're looking at it, because I definitely get where you're coming from. But maybe my little adolescent original viewing of the film ingrained it in my head enough that as an adult it's not coming across as so silly but i get what you're saying it is at its core kind of weird the lilu fights a little corny um it's fun but though i do like the opera and how it, everything is played over it you know to add kind of dramatic flair and the opera singer that did it is really, really good, I guess. Like, um, the composer wrote the opera, and he said it had to sound like something a human couldn't perform. So he's like, I literally put things in there that a human shouldn't be able to do. And he's like, I actually only had to edit a few things because she kept hitting the things that he thought a human couldn't do. Really? <laughs> yeah. He was like, Jesus. This might be a little but, bit of a side note. Did you see that? So, yeah, there was a little bit of auto-tuning and definitely some um, oh, yeah, they had to. adjustments to it. But there is a, I don't know, it was a couple years ago, 
um there was an actual opera singer i think she was i think she's from china or japan i don't remember but she got real close like without auto-tuning it was very impressive dang yeah i think it's something like she in like one verse or whatever the fuck it's like nine octaves or something it's like a lot uh it's insane it's supposed to be impossible but uh I like the scene a lot about I love the action and I think this is the best action, especially with the the Mangalores <laughs> and their their goofy muppetry. And the whole last <laughs> He basically yeah. like bonks and boinks his way through all of them. <laughs> the last twenty minutes of the film are just pure unadulterated nineties action. And Ruby Rod's scream. Oh my god, I giggle every time ah, ah. <laughs> that's that's his line for the rest of the film is screaming. It is a good conclusion to the film, right? This one doesn't leave you... A lot of films, uh, they kind of lose me at the very end of them. This one kind of carries through till the end, right? It's It has some slow parts, it's got some up parts, and then there's just in-your-face action until we get to a conclusion, and then it's over, and it doesn't drag it out. Well, yeah, the, uh, the James Bond ending. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yes, sex, it is a sex in a tube. Ending. Yep. No, but, like, I think that's what, like, looking at this movie, because, like, I've been joking and kind of, like, poking you, Mike, to get you to come at me. But oh, that's okay. I legitimately, uh, don't worry, I'm picking up. No, but I, like, legitimately enjoy, like, I think that last scene sells it for me in this most recent viewing. of like, oh, this is a James Bond movie. This is, it doesn't matter, like, all my, like, uh, nitpicky bullshit questions just to kind of rile you up. Like, just to, to see what you can, <laughs> like, how, how would you defend this movie? Like, I don't think that shit matters, because it's just... A fucking fun ride. It's just a, a, a silly space movie with like a vision, and I think he gets the unadulterated version, like a vision here of this movie of just like nonsense and silly fun. And like I said, I think the only scene that doesn't work for me is just the opera. I think it's too many stuff. But I love all the the ending and I like it's the little message of like the fifth elements love. It's always love. It's the answer to the space movie. <laughs> the universe is empty, so love the one you're with. Good. No, I, I, I'm, I'm right on board with you, man. Yeah. So, my last question for Mike. Yeah. If, if you want to ask him, Shane, so you feel no, important I again. Get it. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> the whole podcast is just me say, asking Mike questions to make you, him manage Shane sitting there giggling you know, himself. <laughs> I'm just realizing now that we're over an hour into this, and now I'm catching on that this was an assault on me. I walked into a goddamn trap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap. You know what? It's a trap. What I respect is Mike, complete sincerity. You defended the fucking shit out of this. You should have been a lawyer for Trump. You, you, you would have got him out of there if you were the lawyer for Trump because because you were like, I'm not going to back down from the silliest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. All right. All Are right. there mountains of evidence that point that my client should go to prison? Yes. <laughs> Did he share state secrets openly and have it recorded? Yes. <laughs> but Corbin Dallas. But it was fun, right? <laughs> Corbin Dallas won the medal. But we had a good four years. It was entertaining, at least. Right. All right. What's the search your feelings? You know it to be true. All right. What's the last question? My last question is: What would be one thing you change about the film? Is there? I know it's a near perfect movie to you, right? You. I don't think you really talked about it. You've seen this how many times, approximately? Oh, I don't even know. I don't even know. At one point, I watched it every week for a month, and at one point, I watched it once a month for a year. So, so you've seen it like a hundred goddamn times. A lot, yeah. I have it. Right, I actually so have tattoos of it. That's why you're invited on this. 
I've actually paid people to imprint ink into my skin <laughs> to show people I like this movie. And he is the fifth element. It's actually a test of people, because like, sometimes people are like, do you have the fucking fifth element tattooed on you? I'm like, sure do. <laughs> like, you just passed the, the mic. We're now test. best friends. High five. Strap in. I'm about to tell you some shit. <laughs> Let's talk about the movie. Okay. Okay. So my last question is, what, is there anything you change about the film? One thing you change to make it a little more perfect? Hmm. Well, I got to think about that for a second. I don't know if I want it changed. Because if it changes, then it means it's a little better. And if it's a little better, then I don't look past some things. <laughs> it sits right in that perfect spot where it just... Honestly, nice. so every single time I've seen this, and it has been a lot of times, I actually still do pick up on things that I missed beforehand. So I don't think that there is something yet I would like to change about it because I don't think I have fully actually understood the film. Yeah. I might I might want Lilu to be a little more grown up towards the end, like an accelerated maturity in a way. Not much more because I get she's childlike in her naive ways and stuff, but like, she still feels too childlike at the end for me, but that would be the only no, slight it, change. This is this is my response to that. In all honesty, this is it has its faults, but I think that makes it charming, and I I like the fact that it has its faults. So no, I don't think it needs to be changed. I think it was done properly. I think the director needs to stop making films. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop, Luke. Just stop. he should have stopped after this one. Yeah. Yeah, really, this was the last one that he made that was, well, Taken was kind of a hit. I've never gone back and watched Taken multiple times. No, no, they're not. But I could see how they put food on his fat table for a while. (laughs) Because he's fat. (laughs) Is he? I didn't mind. Is he a big boy? Oh, yeah. He's a fat boy. (laughs) I didn't mind Lucy. Like, I didn't think it was great. Oh, yeah, he made Lucy, too. I, I, I didn't mind Lucy. Lucy was fine. Like, I don't think it was like insulting. Like it wasn't like uh, like I don't think I told you, but my wife and I saw Valerian. We walked out. <laughs> like, like my wife is. Like, I don't my blame wife, you. This, my wife is not like a big sci-fi person, but she's she likes enough sci-fi. But twenty minutes in, when like the beginning was happening with the alien they're chasing, she looks at me and goes, "I hate this." Can we leave? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, I never figured yes, out what had happened in that fucking movie. You know, this is strange as, as, you know, as far as this goes, like, it's, you know, obviously I've now shown your viewers or, or sorry, your listeners that I am deeply in love with this film, but I hate mm-hmm. the director. I think he's garbage and I don't like his other films. I like Leon and that's about the only one that I can point to. I'm like, yeah, I like Leon the professional. You want to talk about creepy uh, chauvinism. Leon is that. Yeah, it's a little scary. It hit me out with the nine year old. I've still never she's... seen it. With Natalie Port person. <laughs> God, I really want to figure out a thing that I have to say. I don't want to just leave this as I love it so much it's perfect. Because I do want to actually give it a critique. So, The only thing... I'm not a big fan of the opera scene, but whatever. That's I think it's the style of the film. I, I like the idea... And I don't want to increase the length of this movie. But the idea that when Lilu finally sees like the war and figures out the human race is... You know, kind of shitty, but I'm sure all alien histories probably have, you know, a period of, like, darkness. A long period of darkness. But point being is, like, I wish they they developed that a little bit more. Because that was a cool idea that she's naive. And then she's learning what, you know, the atrocities of the world. Because the world is not just 
so simple as black and white. There's like that gray kind of area there. So I like that, but I think that was too real for like the film. Well, I think the Wanda Chi one, if you look at their characters, I think they're like a, a race of pussies, right? So like they <laughs> they didn't have defensive any guns true. on their ship. Very they true. just got fucking railed into a planet so when they got shot down. So I think oh, no. they're the type of guys who are like, I think they were they were so peaceful to a fault that they needed to use humans who have war to develop their love weapon. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you actually go back and deep dive into the Wanda Chi one, they made a love weapon. That's silly as fuck. Like, they they were so weapon? lovely. They're like the Teletubbies that's, of space. And they made this, like... That's what I told my wife the other night. <laughs> I got a love weapon for you. Stick them up. Yeah, they developed the, we'll uh, the, the, the love beam. Like, that was their... They did heart, you know, like, in Captain Planet. Who the fuck is that guy? Yeah. Hart? That's what the fifth element is. <laughs> Captain Planet stole his shit from this. <laughs> that was a Care Bear. Oh. Um, I do like the little puzzle at the end, how they open the stones. Like, they figure out you blow on wind, you sweat on water. and Then they had the scene with the one match, which I'm like, oh, come on, that thing would have broke. You know I it. I like that the scene of that is... So, I, like, I'm going to lay it out there. I used to be a smoker. And, like, seeing the fact that, like, everybody's trying to give up smoking and then they needed a match. The smoking went, like, one. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I should start smoking again. We all, we're all in agreement. Yeah, this is a pro-smoking podcast for Thank sure. Thank God. We Especially for podcast kids. in no way <laughs> endorses underage smoking. <laughs> but if you're above the age of whatever illegal within your state, please smoke away. We're sponsored by Marlboro. And you will save the world. a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> Uh, oh my um, god so we save the planet have sex in the tube with the funny ending um and then we got the fifth element it was a huge success huge i don't know how much money it made but it was made for 60 million so i believe it was over like 50, i believe it was over 200 million yeah it was 250 million i think something like that yeah so luke Besson did very well and then just kind of didn't carry the same thing forward it sounds like an, like any product of love. It was a nightmare to make. Get the fuck out of here, guy. Um, like, just from the special effects and everything, I think he was pretty burnt out from it. Like, I, I think other than Valerian, I don't think he really did any special effects heavy thing after. Lucy. Oh, Lucy, maybe. But I think he just shot everything he had into this movie and then couldn't do it anymore. I wouldn't say it has like a cult following, but it has like legit like followers. Obviously, like yeah. like Mike here, but like when I saw, I resaw it in theaters like a year ago, and people like were wearing the shirts. So like, there's like a I wouldn't say cult because it's not like it's a not heard of movie. It's right? just above cult. Yeah, because like I remember seeing it on TNT too as a kid. So like, it's it's not like a hidden like gem there. It's popular, so that's why we, uh, we wanted to talk about it. Was just like this is such a unique film because like, tone and just like. The singular silly vision. It's a lot of fun. I I 100% agree. Yeah, I actually um there was a couple of years ago before the uh, pandemic that my birthday present, my wife actually surprised me and they were playing it at some, you know, little avant-garde Seattle uh movie theater and the Fifth Element was, was playing and we actually went and saw it again in theaters and holy shit, it was huh. so good to see it on the big screen again. That's fun. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> What a positive note. Well, to end on that's that's it. That's love. That's the fifth element. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's tons hey, of things I, we talk about in the back of it, but 
I, I think we all love the fifth element. That's why it's a glass half full. Well, I don't, and we wanted Mike because no one loves the fifth element like Mike does. Well, I, ho- I, I hope, Ronnie, I was able to at least open your eyes a little bit and maybe give it a second chance. Or I, I think you said it's been three times, maybe a fourth chance. But His heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> no, wait. I was doing a goddamn bit. <laughs> you said antagonize Mike. I was going for Mike. <laughs> I just have questions that are just asshole questions that I didn't even ask you. I have so many more. <laughs> uh, Mike, just want to ask you, why is this movie so... <laughs> if you could just... Tell me why this movie sucks. And you know so what? Hard. I can give you a Thank positive you. answer of why this movie is terrible. Yeah. Yep. And that's why Mike would like to announce his running for the 2024. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. This has been a great podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I was really happy to talk about my favorite movie of all time. And I hope that I was able to sway you guys a little bit toward the uh, positive version of what the fifth element is. I am. I'm swayed. What about you, Ronnie? Are you swayed? Please follow us on uh, <laughs> Instagram, <laughs> on um, Twitter. Uh, please subscribe, like to YouTube, to things like that. Mike, do you have anything out there? Do you guys still do uh, the podcast you do? Well, the working title is a little bit of a slug right now, but there's nothing really else going on. Yeah, I think uh, watching movies is what I'm doing now. Just getting high living yeah, full it. time. <laughs> Want to join the podcast? You see more on the ball than shitting here. I am sorry. I got too high. I am so fucking high. Where were you? I, God help America. Um, thank you, Mike. Lovely to talk to you as always. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Check out Working Title. There's uh, three wonderful podcasters on there. And then also Shane. And they talk about films and then shane just ruins it by injecting <laughs> himself into it yeah maybe one day we'll do a commentary on valerian with Mike. oh god i would love that <laughs> you want to hear me shit on a film that's the one <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll schedule it ronnie take us home i can't <laughs> um give me a good quote from the film there mike oh shit good quote from the film like an outro quote yeah yeah, give us a. Give, you said like you know that like you know someone. Sure, quotes got it, got it, got it. Give us a good one. That's about. That's the best goddamn show I've ever done. <laughs> yes. Disappointing. <laughs> what? That's not disappointing. I am very disappointed. <laughs> I like it. I like it, Mike. Well, folks, that's all we got. Go watch the Fifth Element over and over. And over and over again, and let it change your life. And watch the stone. Join, You'll have a better time. Join the church of the Manishawan today. Manichewan. I don't remember their fucking names. Manichewan. See, <laughs> we just watched this movie. I don't remember their names, the Armadillo people. Chikuchawa? <laughs> What'd you call them? Oh, we didn't even talk about how this, like, basically George Lucas stole this film for Phantom Mentis. Mentis. Oh, yeah. Menace. The like, Phantom Menace is like a direct steal. Jar Jar Binks. Yep, Ruby Rod. You had like the like, Coruscant, the, like, the, the dated '90s visual of Coruscant. Oh, now you guys are just movie. trying to piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> Death and, <to> George Lucas. <laughs> and we're out. <laughs> All right, stop your recording. <laughs> Mr. President. Let me introduce you to Professor McTilbert, who runs the center. It's an honor to receive you, Mr. President. Where are my two heroes? 
Oh, we, they were so tired from their ordeal, we put them in the reactor this morning. I have 19 more meetings after this one, Professor. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, let me see if they're revived. Thank you. We go live in one minute, Mr. President. Mm -hmm. They're, they're fucking. Not ready. Uh, they need five more minutes. You have 20 seconds. No, ma'am. No, 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 I tried. No, ma'am. Who's that? Some woman claims to be Corbin's mother. Well, give it here. Mrs. Dallas, this is the president. On behalf of the Federation, I would like to... You're not the damn president. I know you're not the president. Don't let Michael fool you. He's bullshitting the whole time. He's a big dorky. He loves the fifth element. Ronnie's just being a dickhead. Shane was too high. Just, the podcast sucked. Just turn it off. Just turn it off now. You're not the president. The president's big and strong. He's not, not my president. Halftime conversation here in the locker room. <laughs> you need to get your shit together right now. You need to man the fuck up. No. It's only marijuana. It's not like it's Molly. You're fine. You need to man the fuck up. Take, take hold. Take the reins of this podcast back, Shane. Okay. Taking America back right now. All right. Taking America back right now. Fill me, Joe Rogan. Fill me with your spirit. <laughs> Inspirational words. I've taken the athletic <laughs> greens. <laughs> It's shut to the door. You were recording this, oh no. I was recording this. I'm saving this one for the end. And okay. Who's ready?